0: Well, it's true, God is a good and gracious king. Sorry. This may hit me a few times during my message today, but during the Advent reading, as the Garifalakas were reading from Thessalonians, it hit me that the next time I see my dad will be when he comes back with Jesus. That's exciting. I'll see him again on that day. We do cover your prayers uh, right now and uh, as we figure out what's the next couple of weeks look like. But um, we have comfort knowing that he was a believer and uh, I think I just lost my biggest cheerleader. Let's, let's pray. Let's, let's just pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the reassurance of resurrection. Thank you for the knowledge of of being at peace with you. And uh, as we take some time now to dive into your word, to to look at the anticipation of Christmas, would you just reveal to us uh, just again who your son is, the one that we come together to praise, to worship, uh, the one that we say thank you, for your gift of salvation on the cross. So Lord, be with us this morning. I know you will be. Just uh, pray that you'd uh, enlighten us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the first thing I want to say uh, is thank you. Uh, last Sunday, we sh- I shared with you about our financial need, and um, just thank you because so many of you did uh, you you heeded the call and you you sent in a, an offering and we're grateful for that please know like we if you haven't had a chance to do that we, we'd still encourage you if if you're able to send an extra hundred dollars this month that would be very helpful um, but we want to say thank you for for just giving us that little boost to get through hamper week and get through the end of our calendar year uh, this this next couple of weeks as we come in and look this morning at uh, the next part of our series on the awe of Christmas, we're looking at the anticipation of Christmas. The incris- anticipation of Christmas. And, and I was thinking through this week as a, as a kid, just how much I looked forward to that Christmas morning every year, right? There's, there's gifts under the tree. And did you ever have those years where you knew what a certain gift was? There was one year when I was a kid, and, and I don't want you to know this about me, but I was a bit of a brat. Um, My siblings are a little bit older than me, so I'm kind of like a youngest-only child, like the worst parts of both of those. And I really wanted a WWF, that's how old I am, WWF wrestling ring and wrestling action figures. And I knew they were under the tree. I was there when Mom and Dad bought them, and yet I was still whining about them. (laughs) But I, I anticipate, I looked forward to that Christmas morning because I knew what gift I was given, being given, and I really wanted it. Even a couple of years ago, uh, even as an adult, there was there was one gift that I didn't see sitting by the tree. And um, and James was adamant. He said, did you see the gift, Dad? I was like, no, what gift? He said, the gift I got you. I was like, I didn't see it because it's over by the tree. I go look by the tree, and there it is, a big, I you don't know, well, it was a hockey stick. You, you can't really hide that in wrapping paper. So I knew I was getting a new stick for Christmas. Uh, and, you know, a stick that I didn't use very much, but I used it as a trainer with their hockey team. But uh, again, I had a gift. I knew what it was, and I was anticipating getting that gift. It's not so much that I had a wish for those gifts, because I knew they were there. It was more of a, of a hope. It was an anticipation of getting those gifts. It was a reasonable hope. Yeah, have you ever thought about the difference between a wish and a hope, right? A wish is, is something that you might want, but it's not likely or probable. Like, I could wish for a brand new car in my driveway. It's not going to happen, right? Like, it's, it's fanciful for me to think for that. Whereas a hope is something that's more of a desire that's rooted in, in, in um, a reliable experience or some reliable news. Like, I can hope for, for those things that I know have been promised to me. And like, I had... Hope for the wrestling ring and also for that hockey stick. And even anticipate, as we look at that, it's more like a hope. It's like regarding as probable and looking forward to. So this morning, we want to look at these good gifts and how we anticipate these good gifts that we know. And when we know this gift is coming, we we are kind of hard-pressed not to share it with others. I mean, as a kid, I was excited to tell my friends about this wrestling ring and action figures I was getting. I I couldn't not tell them. And as we look in our passage today, we find a couple of women in a similar situation. We we see Mary and Elizabeth who are are anticipating Christmas. They both had good reason to anticipate Christmas. And we'll see in this passage that, that the central theme of it is like the celebration of God's fulfillment of his promises from the past. The fulfillment we find in Jesus Christ as the perfect gift. As we come into the story in Luke chapter 1, we find Mary who who's, uh, had just met with the angel. The angel Gabriel had just come to her and shared with her the good news that she was going to bear the Son of God. She was going to, to bring, this, bring this God-man into life. And as, this, as, as our passage begins, she, we find her running off uh, to see Elizabeth. Now, I stopped to think a bit. The Bible doesn't tell us why Mary went to see Elizabeth. It doesn't give us any, any, any insight into why. But I wonder if part of it is a bit of a fear of what would happen in her little town. Some reprisal of her being pregnant before she was actually married to Joseph. I also wonder if she just needed to tell someone. Someone who could understand and who wouldn't think she was crazy for what she was about to tell them. Sometimes there's just that news you just can't keep to yourself. And so I think that we can look at this and say, anticipating Christmas should cause us to praise God and to share the good news with others. So here's Mary, visited by Gabriel, given this news that she's going to be, uh, become pregnant. And yet she's not doubting the news, but she says, like, how, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. But she said to the angel, let it be done to me. She was a willing servant. She was willing for this to happen. She didn't understand how it was going to happen. But here she is, unmarried, betrothed to Joseph, who we know to be a good man. Which is, you know, betrothal is is more than an engagement, but less than a marriage. It's a bit of a time for for the, the couple to prove themselves pure, in a sense, where they're legally together, but they don't come together here she is she's pregnant joseph we're told in matthew being a good man wanted decided he was going to divorce her quietly he was going to do the kind thing to her as opposed to what the law called for and the law called for her to be stoned in practice probably they were more or less likely send these girls off to rome or carthage or ephesus just to be out of this out of the culture so can, you can understand a little bit if Mary is worried about how she'll be treated. You know, did she really have, an, have that visit from an angel? Was it something bad I ate that gave me a bad dream? Is that what I experienced? So she quickly leaves. It says she went with haste and makes her way to her cousin Elizabeth. Elizabeth, you'll remember, is the wife of Zechariah, the priest who, who, they were an older couple and they were barren. And yet Zechariah was met by Gabriel himself. And given the news that his wife in her advanced age was going to bear a son as well, and that son would be the forerunner to Messiah. So Mary goes to Elizabeth, who the angel said she's pregnant as well, and knowing that Elizabeth might understand what's going on. She might get it. So she goes to the countryside of Judea, and, and she greets Elizabeth as she comes to her, their home. And we're told that as Mary and Elizabeth greet each other, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John, leaps for joy. It's like the baby knew who he was meeting at that moment. And we find Elizabeth blessing Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's like another confirmation for Elizabeth. right? Think about how Zechariah had this visit from the angel. Remember what the the angel said to him? Because you doubted, you will not speak again until the baby's born. So Zechariah's coming home and got to find a way to tell Elizabeth what's going on. And somehow he must have got a a cross to her. And we, we do know they had some kind of tablet he could write on. But she understood somewhat what was said to Zachariah. And then all of a sudden, now she's actually pregnant. Uh, There's another little confirmation for her as as each of these little things happen. And I think these confirmations are gifts from God. I still remember the confirmations that we experienced uh, when when we were called into ministry in the first place. I was an information analyst working for um, a multinational company called EDS. And we did IT support and, and services for General Motors. And so I worked at GM, basically, and, and for seven years, that was our, our life. And, and it was a good job, paid well. We, we had a house we were going to raise the kids in, and, and then God sort of called us. And it was a very clear call to us, and I've shared that before. He called us into ministry. And yet all along that journey, and over that next year and a half, God confirmed for us in little ways. And when we were selling our house in North Oshawa, we signed the paperwork at 6.30 to, to list our home. Now, if you've never sold a home, you won't understand how amazing this is. We sold we listed our home to sell at 6.30 on a Monday evening. At 7.30, we had our first and only showing, and by 9 o'clock, the paperwork was signed and the deal was done. Two and a half, three hours. God was confirming that we were making the right moves. He was confirming for us, encouraging us to go. And as we were looking for a house in Cambridge, we we went in one Sunday morning, and it was this really bad snowstorm. And we thought, well, we'll we'll see what we can find, any open houses we can find. And we happened to see an open house, a sign for an open house um, uh, that was a private sale. So we went to the house. It was a nice little townhouse, and we we walked through. thought it was a good-sized house for us for this this time. and, And we ended up buying that house. Now, I don't know if it was within that week or when that was, but we were signing the paperwork at the house with the people selling. And they said to us, you know, it really was a miracle that you found us. I said, we were like, why? Like, why is that a miracle we found you? You put your sign out. They said, well, the snowstorm was so bad, we ended up almost canceling our open house. We thought, no, let's put out one sign. So they only put out one sign for their open house, and we happened to drive past that sign. Now, again, that's not a big thing. But it's a little confirmation for us on our journey. Now, as you know, in our journey this time, God isn't granting us that same favor in selling our house. Please keep praying for that. But he works differently in every situation. It's not that he's not confirming our call to be here. It's just that it's different this time. But Elizabeth is now experiencing this confirmation for Mary. That that what she had been told, now now Mary's telling her the same story. And Elizabeth goes on in her blessing of Mary and says, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, I have a bit of a sarcastic bent, so I read that line with sarcasm. Did you hear what she said? Blessed is she who believed there would be fulfillment. You can almost see a little bit of a side glance to Zachariah sitting in the corner, right? She believed him. You doubted him. But again, these confirmations and helping Elizabeth now anticipate real Christmas. She's looking forward to the birth of her own son, to John, of course, but she's really anticipating the arrival of Jesus, the Christ. And I think it's safe to say that Mary's experiencing some of these same confirmations in her journey as well. And it actually leads Mary Mary into song, and this is something we call Mary's Magnificat. Again, Luke 1, verse 46 He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Elizabeth and Mary are having this greeting and, and, and Mary like breaks out in song. So no, Disney didn't invent that. Just breaking out in song in the middle of a scene. But it's apparent that Mary is in a place of awe as regards to Yahweh. Like what he has done for her and, and what he's promised her, what he's done for her people and what he's promised his, her people. And there's some really solid theology in her praise. We find Mary's Magnificat is, kind of lines up a little bit with Hannah's song from the Old Testament, from 1 Samuel. Remember, remember Hannah, she was married to Elkanah and she was older and she was barren couldn't have a child, and she was pleading with God for a child. And she was actually at the temple, and she was in such a deep sense of prayer with the Lord that the priest thought she was drunk and was going to send her away. But the Lord heard her cry for for a, a, a child, granted her Samuel. Samuel became a prophet, And she dedicated Samuel to the work and service of the Lord in the temple. Hannah went to song in praise of her God. Mary goes to song in praise of her God. I want to walk through Mary's Magnificat with us briefly. I think the first thing we find in the first three verses is this. Mary rejoices to have been given the privilege of being the mother of the Messiah. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. So I said we call this the Magnificat, and that's Latin, from, from the Latin, and it would have been the first word in the Latin translation of this, magnifies, this is the word Magnifies. And Mary's rightly acknowledging that God is worthy of magnifying. God is worthy of raising up. But you notice how personal this is for her? Right? She says, It's my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary recognizes how much she herself is impacted by this news. And she recognizes who she is, right? She says she's of humble estate. She's not of the nobility, but that's, that's where we were looking for Messiah. We would often look, we would look for Messiah coming from someone who's noble, someone, maybe a king, at the least very much coming as a prince. But here we have Mary, right? A peasant girl, 13 to 15 years old, who's been chosen to play a part in the fulfillment of God's divine promises. Again, it's not who we would choose in this story to bear the Son of God. And she recognized that we were going to call her blessed, and we do call her blessed. Now, doctrines have sprouted up around Mary because of this. In some traditions, she's lifted up to just under God himself. People pray to her. You know, Ave Maria, that song, Hail Mary, that's praising Mary. I got this... sort of description about this this point from a website called got questions i do like to go there from time to time they've got some good answers i don't say i agree with everything they say but for the most part it's a good a good website for questions about the bible gotquestions.org. they wrote it this way mary is not and never was holy mary was a human being who was born as all humans are with a sin nature, and who recognized that she needed a Savior. In fact, the very passage used in the Hail Mary, known as Mary's Magnificat, contains the declaration, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. A clear indication that she understood her need for a Savior from sin. The Bible never says that Mary was anyone but an ordinary human whom God chose to use in an extraordinary way. Yes, Mary was a righteous woman, favored, graced by God. At the same time, Mary was a sinful human being who needed Jesus Christ as her Savior, just like everyone else. The generations don't call her blessed because she's the mother of God. But we call her blessed because she was willingly used by God to further His will, to bear His Son. Mary's a humble, ordinary girl, She was blessed because she got to look into the eyes of her Savior. Could you imagine that? Holding the baby, looking in his eyes, knowing this is your Savior. As we move on, Mary glorifies God for his power. Glory glorifies his holy name and his mercy. Verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. God is mighty. The Lord has shown His power throughout the history past, and Mary's saying like, now you're showing your power, your might to me." I can imagine her recognizing how big God is and how small she is. Have you ever had those moments where you stop and you actually consider just how big God is? Like, oh, this is the Creator, sovereign ruler of the universe. Immense, and yet he cares about the intimate details of your life. I really can't fathom that. Like, he's how does he have time for me in the midst of all this? This is the God who flooded the whole world and yet prepared and saved a family of eight. This is the God who sh- uh, parted the Red Sea so that his people could walk across on dry land. This is the God who enabled a young shepherd boy be able to kill a seasoned warrior giant. And Mary's recognizing his power. That's who she's praising. God's done mighty things for me, for my, my people in the past, and now he's made me pregnant without a man. Like, Mary is just in awe of our God. She says, holy is his name. God's name is something to be honored. I mean, the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, um, hallowed be your name. May your name be honored. God's name should be set apart. I mean, in fact, this is part of the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? What does it mean to use his name um, illegitimately? Well, simply, we hear it all the time in cursing, swearing. People use God's name all the time. I don't think they even realize what they're doing, what they're saying. And we can be very good at recognizing that as as good Christians, but it's also using the Lord's name in vain. We speak falsely in His name. Be careful when we say things like, God says or, or God wants. Unless God said it Himself, be very careful what you say that God says. Don't put words in his mouth. Don't speak for him. She praises God for his mercy. God is merciful. I mean, we, we see that even all throughout the Old Testament, right? Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He actually asked God, show me your glory. And God says, well, I will make my goodness, I'll make my... Myself, I'll, I'll proclaim my name, the Lord. I'll, I'll be gracious to those I'll be gracious to. And he says, I will, be, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God is merciful. You know, I'm not even sure I'm fully aware of all the different mercies that God shows to me each and every day. And I, I would assume you're the same. I think there's probably mercy upon mercy that we don't even recognize. Yet he's showing to those, that to us regularly. But notice that this mercy isn't just a general mercy for all. It's mercy for those who fear him. Those who fear him. And what's what's that? What's the fear of God? Well, I think those people who are not believers, who are not God's people, their fear is fearing God's wrath. They they might recognize that God is a wrathful God. And yet we, as his followers, we fear him as well, but it's more of a, a reverence and an awe we have of God. He's called the consuming fire in Hebrews 12. You know, we have a healthy fear of fire. At least we should have a healthy fear of fire. We teach our kids a healthy fear of fire. I mean, it's so nice to sit around a campfire with the family and, you know, we can, all the good things, right? We can cook s'mores over the campfire. Fire is good for making maple syrup. That's a great piece of fire. It keeps us warm. It maybe uh, gives us light. It can dry wet clothes. But when we don't have a healthy fear of fire, we can get burned. And we can get burned very badly. Fire also is very destructive. It can burn down a house very quickly. Or the forest fires we've seen these last summers. We have a healthy fear of fire. We also have a healthy fear of God. He's done so much good for us. We understand who he is. We understand that he has our best interest in, in his mind We fear him because we know he has the power to destroy. But he chooses to show mercy to us, mercy upon mercy. And then Mary looks ahead by looking back. Verse 51 He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. This is a great foreshadowing of the, of the reversal motif, the upside-down upside nature of the kingdom of God, right? She says, the proud are scattered in their thoughts, right? The proud are not celebrated, they're scattered. The exalted, the mighty are humbled, but the humble are exalted. See the upside-down nature? The hungry are fed, and the rich, who are the full, they are made empty, they're turned away. This is like a new order of life, a new order of hope in both the individual and in the society. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about this, right? Life in the kingdom is not the same as the world we we know here and now. It seems like here and now, the rich and the famous, they seem to get all the breaks. If you're into the sports world at all, you recognize that companies will fawn over athletes, wanting them to use their equipment. And they're given this free equipment. The people who don't need free equipment get free equipment. And there's lots of Kids who want to play sports and they can't because they can't afford the equipment. I mean, growing up, like playing hockey, a, a hockey stick was $30 if, if you really wanted to spend a lot. And now you're looking at $150, 300 $400 for a stinking hockey stick that seem, seems to break really early. But see, the upside-down nature of that, the, these athletes who, who don't need these, this free equipment are getting it. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, it's the poor who are going to inherit the kingdom. It's the hungry who are going to be fed. It's the weeping will be the ones who are laughing. And in Matthew's telling of the Sermon on the Mount, he says a number of times, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. You've heard that it's been said, you shall not murder. But I say to you that even the thought, even the anger in your mind is enough to be considered sin. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you even the lustful thoughts is the same as adultery. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy. Do good for them. Pray for those who persecute you. Life in the kingdom of God is different than we're used to. And that's not just for the future in the kingdom. It's for the kingdom now for us. And it's for our good. This upside-down nature is for our good. She looks ahead by looking back. And here's my last point. Mary exalts God for being faithful to his promise to Abraham. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's not unaware of God's promises to Abraham. I mean, she would have grown up with that, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. She would have understood Father Abraham and the promises God made to to him. She recognized that God has kept that promise to Abraham, and now she's recognized God will keep that promise to me as well if you remember, is Genesis chapter 12, where, where God calls Abraham and says, I want you to leave the country of your family. I want you to go where I'll tell you. And, and when you go and do that, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna make your name great. I'm gonna make your family as numerous as the stars in the sky. Abraham believed God. But you realize Abraham never saw the fulfillment of God's promise to him. The fulfillment didn't occur in his lifetime, right? Abraham eventually saw Isaac, his son, but one son doesn't make a nation. Isaac saw Jacob and Esau, but two sons don't make a nation. But see, God was keeping his promise to Abraham through the generations. And then Jacob had his 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and the nation began to grow quickly. God kept his promise to Abraham Mary knows this. She sees it. And now she's reminded that God will keep his promise to me. And not just the promise that she's going to be pregnant and have this son, but she has keeping, that God will keep the promise that he will save them. He will save them with this child, this Messiah. And we look back on Easter, on that first Easter, and we recognize and see where God fulfilled his promise to save his people. And now the families of the earth are blessed. And then we find Mary going home. Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. We figure Mary probably left before John was born. She would have gone home and she would have actually been married to Joseph shortly after that. Because then they had their trip to Bethlehem. They didn't know it was coming. So we know Joseph and Mary were married before they left for Bethlehem. When Joseph had his visit from the angel... It says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. Mary was anticipating Christmas. And that anticipation of Christmas caused her to praise God. And it caused her to go and share the good news with others. And that same anticipation should be something inside of us. When we experience the awe of Christ, we look at him and think, how is it possible you could die for me? How is it possible you could even love me? And when we realize that he does, he did and he does, that we should be anticipating him in such a way that we want to praise him and that we want to go share that good news with others. What does that realization do for you? When you think of that, do you just go on with your day just as if nothing really happened? Just another thought, oh yeah, yeah, I know, God saved me. Is that what happens? Or does or it cause you to say, wow, like thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Now maybe you're not a songwriter like Mary. Maybe you're not in this constant state of awe. But recognize that God cares for you each and every day. He cared and loved for you enough that he did send his son to come and die on the cross for your sin. For my sin. And all of that should drive us to praise him just like Mary. And when we praise him like Mary does, we also need to tell someone. See, Elizabeth had this inkling. She knew something was happening, and she had reason to believe it might come true. But each of these confirmations became more and more than an inkling. She had reason, she had a true hope in what she had heard, what she was told that what she was really experiencing was really going to happen. It was really, this, her son was really the forerunner of the Messiah. Mary's visit would have strengthened this resolve in her. What does it do for you? Does it drive you to want to go tell someone? This is a time of year when you have a lot more freedom to share about the good news of Christmas. I mean, just standing at a couple of doors yesterday, dropping off hampers, I had a chance to pray with them, a chance to invite them out to church and share God's love with them. It doesn't take much. It's actually not as hard as you might think to share the good news of the gospel with someone. At Christmas, we are in awe of our God. We are in awe of our Savior. And I hope that drives you to praise God and drives you to share the good news with others. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that what we are celebrating is more than just a baby in a manger. You, Lord, are the sovereign creator of our world, of everything we see and everything we experience. We've sinned against you, and yet you, you set out to make a way for us. You were the one who created the solution to our sin problem. And that's why we celebrate Jesus at Christmas. Because he is your son. He has come to be the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And God, as we said before, without Easter, Christmas is meaningless. So as we celebrate the first Advent this coming week, we look forward to your second Advent. We look forward to the return of Christ. When we can live with him in the kingdom forever. Amen.